Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So today, I'm talking about a super witchy herb that, like, more than deserves its time in the moonlight, mugwort. Oh, yeah, mugwort. It has also been called the witch's friend. So Mm. kind of a big deal for our people. For, For our people. Uh, no, I feel like mugwort is up there with like Dittany of Crete too, as far as like sounding the most witchy. Yeah. When I, so my like herbalism business that I run is called Marigold and Mallow and I almost called it Marigold and Mugwort, but then through a lot of conversation ended up going with Mallow, but I was like this close because I really do. I love it. I love it. We will talk. We'll talk we're about oh, oh, we're, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. I'm, so and and just to kind of like hint at the theme for the episode, uh, I'm covering a topic that we've talked about in passing countless times, uh, but it deserves its own official segment. So it is moon magic time, y'all. Uh, I'm also covering Celine for a deity profile. So we're we're really going we're going all out for for moon stuff. Getting lunar as fuck up in here. Lunar as fuck. No, well, because I feel like as witches, it's so important to work with the moon. Like that's really where a lot of us start. It's where a lot of people are grounded. You know, it's like, especially this like current wave where it's like, it's a lot of like crystal focused and like a lot of like meditation focused as far as like the baby witches. And a lot of that has to do with the phases of the moon. So, yeah. And I think especially for people that maybe live in areas where the seasons don't exist, like Los Angeles, lunar cycles are such a cool way to like be able to tap into that like cyclical nature of the universe for your magic when you don't necessarily have autumn. Autumn or (laughs) snow. Who's she? Never met her. Yeah, Uh, I don't. Yeah. You can see snow when you're in LA up on top of the mountains way off in the distance. That's true. You can technically see it. So you know about snow. But if it's snowing in Los Angeles, it's like, I think that's happened like once. It did <laughs> snow in Santa Monica a couple of years ago and everybody was pretty sure it was the end of the world. So, you know, we're not equipped. We're not ready. Yeah, no. Um, but no, so we're talking about moon magic. And um, so before we kind of like dive in, I did want to say, Welcome to our new patron on Patreon, Eleanor, who we're not going to disclose why, but does have a big connection to this episode. You Uh, know why, Eleanor. You know why, Eleanor. This one goes out to you. And hopefully by the time you hear this, you've already heard from us. uh, Yes. Vis-a-vis stuff on the Patreon. So uh, before I actually talk about Moon stuff... Uh, I did want to do my little show and tell, uh, which is one of my favorite books. Um, I I don't know if you guys can see it on the Patreon video, but it is The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein, um, which is my favorite book that takes place on the moon. So I thought that was appropriate. And I'm kind of talk about it a little later on how like I was an astronomy nerd as a kid, so. Oh yeah, big same. I had a telescope. I had this really cool like touch pad that had all the planets on it and you could press them and like learn things about the planets. I'm like, 
I feel like a lot of witches were probably astrology or astronomy nerds and then became no, astrology cause, nerds. Because <laughs> there was that thing, there was like that craze in the 90s. I think there was like even like a store at the mall that sold oh, like yeah. science kid shit. Oh yeah. We, I mean, we're the Bill Nye the Science Guy generation. True. But it was like, it was fun. You know, like I yeah. would buy, I would buy with my own money. I remember this like pre-made slides to look at in my fucking microscope. Oh yeah. I, I really feel like that was such a nineties kid thing. Like we were into science. Like we were all going to be scientists when we grew up. We, we were, (laughs) uh, and I am, I'm a biologist, so (laughs) I'm not a doctor. Not a doctor, but you are a biologist. I did get mistaken for a biologist one time. And that's uh, just as good as a degree, honestly. Honestly, they thought I was, uh, you know, so that that's opening doors for me. And it I counts. can't go, I can't go back now. Please, you guys do not tell anyone I'm not a real biologist. I could lose my job. But no, so I'm actually super honored to get to do this particular segment because Shannon and myself are both such moon ladies. Oh, um, yeah. We are patio ladies, cat ladies, and moon ladies together. And that is why we're best friends. Um, but I thought kind of like a great place to dive in here. It's such a big topic. So we are not covering everything to do with moon magic today. Like, yeah, I feel like it's the same for mugwort today is going to be really like an intro kind of to these two things because yeah. they could each be their own series. They could episodes. each be their own series to be perfectly frank. Uh, the moon should be the moon coming soon to a patreon near you perhaps Ooh, oh my god i love moon magic we really could go off for we episodes. really we really we really could but okay so i but like i was saying i feel like Rolling it comes as, as a surprise to absolutely nobody that when i was in the second grade i did catch the astronomy bug and I did beg my parents to buy me a telescope, which I did get for Christmas that year. Um, and I feel like the telescope, like microscope combo, it's like the science kid starter kit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had one and I remember, you know, you know, that billboard that went up next to the house that I grew up in that you lived in. With yes, me yes, point. yes. Of course. The one uh, I, just past the bootlegger store. Yes, I was outraged when they put that Mm -hmm. in because it was the year after I got my telescope. Oh, that is such bullshit. Okay. The amount of yelling I did. I'm so mad for you. Uh, Post I'm I'm like post mad for you. Yeah. Uh, But no, like we lived in the city already. So you will know, I did not come out to Granberry until a lot later on. And um, so when I, when I was in second grade, I lived in Fort Worth, very close to the city center. And um, you really just could not see much of the stars at all, but you could see the moon. Uh, so, I mean, it was kind of like love at first sight. Uh, kind of before we dive away from that, though, do you remember Hail, Comet Hale Bop? Oh, of course I remember Hale Bop. It, it My was close like, personal friend Hale Bop? Because I, I remember uh, my dad, we tried to look at that. Because Hale Bop was, I think, 97. Because mm-hmm. I think Haley's Comet was 95. I've been reading about comets lately for something completely unrelated to the podcast. Um, pleasure. Yeah. Nick means he's been reading about comets for pleasure. <laughs> for pleasure. Um, yeah, well, I mean, when you put it like that, 
Uh, but no, okay. But no, I, so I'm still, I'm still that kid. I'm just yeah. a grown ass person now and a witch. So uh, we're mean, talking about- I went on a whole detour last week talking about like Saturn and Jupiter and the formation of the universe. I think you're in good company. <laughs> right. And you know, um, I feel like y'all are getting to know me a little bit for this episode. Cause I'm like, yeah. let me, let me bring this out. Um, but no, so after that though, I was really into like naming the moon phases, which I still do. Uh, you know, and it's like, I get, I, everyone I always ever work with, I always get them into astrology and then I like ease into the moon stuff. And then you kind of get to the point where they're like, what phase is the moon in right now? Where's the moon at right now? I'm feeling this kind of way. And it's like, see you guys, like y'all, you go from skeptics to being like, what's, where's the moon at right now? Um, Can I tell you my favorite trick for knowing whether the moon's waxing or waning by looking at it? I, I know it because I just spent a bunch of time reading about the moon, but please share with everyone else. So, and I think this is like perfect for witchy stuff because when the moon is waning, it's going into your left hand, which Uh is where your heart is on the left Uh, side. Right. So it's like that internal energy. So it's like, if you hold up your hands and it's going into the left one, it's waning. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So sweet. Um, But yeah, I I was also just talking about like, which side the fingernail is on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, left or right. Uh, anywho. So, but no, now I'm lost. Now I'm lost. No, I get my coworkers. Uh, I, everyone, everyone asks about the moon, but so back when I was a kid, I was really into looking at the moon. Um, and I've always had like effects from the moon. So I definitely have always been like very aware specifically of the effects of the full moon on like my mood, my energy levels. Like I never sleep the night of the full moon. And it's actually, for me personally, this makes so much sense now that I've looked into my whole birth chart uh, because I have a Cancer Mars at zero degrees. Um, Okay. At zero degrees. Uh, So I'm like the most cancerian mars uh but also my mars placement is ruled by the moon so i could see that really affecting your energy levels oh yeah i mean obviously i was born on a pisces full moon and the moon is first of all the moon is in pisces and it's in my first house so it's like i mean i feel it with the moon in particular with like the the peaks like with the full moon i've got lots of energy with the new moon i'm always like so tired like it's mm-hmm. wild it, i feel like it really does impact me a lot and i've heard that like full moon babies regardless of which house it falls in tend to be a little bit more impacted by the moon cycles which i yeah. think makes sense cuz it would be like you're coming in with the fullest force of the moon. Yeah, no. I, but it's like, also, it's like if your moon is in your first house, like. Yeah, I've got a moon in Pisces in my first house. Again, it's yeah. like the moon is my bay. We're moon ladies. I literally we said we are, we are like we're such moon, moon ladies. ladies. Uh, we're patio ladies. We're here. Um, but. And and so this is kind of like, I cannot remember where. So apologies in advance to the many online astrology sources I have used during my search for astrological knowledge. But I did read this article one time about Cancer and Mars people that referred to it as uh, the werewolf archetype. And I really felt called out by that 
Um, but I love that because it does feel appropriate. And I think it was like specifically about like people with an Aries sun and a cancer in Mars. It was like all of these different archetypes based on like your Mars sign with your sun sign. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. But that is a whole rabbit trail of information, which is basically to say that I like not only uh, to keep track of the face of the moon, but also the astrological location as well, which I feel gives you like a better taste for all the flavors of the different moon phases out there. Like a full moon in Capricorn is going to feel very different from like a full moon in Cancer. Yeah, and it also gives you a great way to like celebrate basically kind of like an extra birthday in your birthday month when the sun is in like your sign and the moon is in the sign it was in when you were born. And that's so much fun. It's like, it's always nice to get like a little extra special day. I mean, maybe that's just all the Leo in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're (laughs) like, uh, I need a moon birthday and a sun birthday. And I always think it's funny like the one that always gets me on Twitter every year is when Venus comes back into Taurus. I'm like, I do feel that one like a little bit. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Venus. Hello. Venus is in Taurus. It's my Venus birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you just have to get into astro- astrology so you can get more presence. I think yes. that's what we're getting to. Yes, because it's like, I feel like if you were just keeping track of the phases of the moon, and not really keeping track of where they are in the astrology wheel, you're kind of missing out on like a key element that does give all those different moon cycles, different flavors. Yeah. I'm, calling, I'm using the word flavors because I really, it's like they, they really do like season the feeling of the lunar energy as well. So I love that. And I, I know that I've talked about it before, but I can't plug enough the Llewellyn wall calendars because I have one of those and it like has the moon phases and like the sign that the moon is in. And it's really convenient to have, I have it like by my front door so I can kind of just like see it on my way out. And it's like, it costs like $12 and I look at it basically every day. And, and, you know, it's like, I've seen it. It's great. Yeah. Definitely buy one. I honestly, I feel like following astrology Twitter has spoiled me to the fact that I follow multiple different accounts where people just tweet when the moon changes signs. And so I'm just like, oh, I I know. Yeah. I know. (laughs) I'm not a tweeter. So I know, I know, I know. And (laughs) I, I'm turning into one of those people that talks about Twitter in real life. So I'm going to move on. Um, But I do also, I so I don't plan things around moon phases but I do like to check what the moon phases are going to be when I have already planned something so I kind of like brought an example so as a lot of you guys know I am planning a trip to Japan in August of next year and um, which I did purchase because there was a price thing and also a Mount Fuji climbing season thing that I was shooting for Um, so those are like the first two considerations but then like once I knew when I was gonna go I'm like let me check what the astrology is gonna be like that's the obvious third step um astrology passport update you know so I I looked into the full chart of the weeks that I was gonna be there and just to see if there's like any days to do special stuff like anything to maybe do a ritual I am looking at maybe doing some rituals in Japan um you know watch this space, I guess. But the day I land 
theme moon will be a waxing gibbous moon in the sign of Sagittarius, which is my birth moon. So, you know, like full disclosure, it's not the same degree of Sagittarius. And it, I mean, it will eventually be for like an hour, less than an hour when I get there, uh, like exactly where it was. So, but all that to say, looking ahead, maybe planning around the moon feels like an easy way to incorporate the moon into like your regular life. So it's like, you know, I'm going on vacation, but let's say you booked your wedding, you know, you're like, oh, what, what is the moon doing on that day? Or, you know, even kind of looking back, because I feel like that's a good way to kind of catch those flavors that I was talking about, where it's like, if you have a day that is very memorable to you, where like everything went right, or like everything went wrong, if you go back and look at what phase the moon was in, maybe that can give you sort of an indication of the astrological flavor of the day and what that might have added to that. So, which is just to say, keep track of the shit is yeah. like the, the easiest way to get into like working with the moon. So it's, and it's like, I'm planning this shit like basically a, a little bit less than a year out. And I'm, I'm like already looking at where the moon's going to be. So, but we are not just here to talk about how to incorporate the moon into your regular life. No, we are not. We are witches after all. And the moon has been a huge part of ritual magic since... Forever? Mesopotamia, at least, but probably forever. Take a drink. (laughs) I know, take a drink, y'all. We're talking about Mesopotamia again. Uh, Because I'm always like, I want to go as far back as I can. Uh, And and then I always end up in Mesopotamia. Um, Like you do. So so we're in Mesopotamia. Uh, You know, we're talking like, between the years 5,000 and 3,000 BC, a long ass time ago, we're looking at the city of Ur on the lower Euphrates. It's the main center of worship for the moon god Nana, who later becomes a hybrid moon deity with Sin, the god of the specifically crescent moon, and like a multi-aspected moon god or goddess, uh, I've got crescent moon earrings on today. Oh, and I, I love that because it's the, <laughs> the crescent moon outside right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's 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 quite a bit, well, it's two hours later here than it is there. So uh, I got to watch the moon rise while we drove Oliver back, Oliver back from the vet. Uh, but back to the thing. Um, but no, multi, so we so we've literally that far back got like sort of a multi-aspected moon deity. Uh, this time it's a dude. First couple times they try yeah. it out, they go for a dude moon, which I'm not, I'm not particularly a fan of. No, I, it feels so weird. It's very weird to me. I feel like the moon does have feminine energy. I feel like the ocean has feminine energy. Anyone well, who care, would care to debate with me about this. Um, I mean, the lunar cycle roughly lines up to like anyone who has a uterus is menstrual cycle, like roughly 28 days, roughly 28 days. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah, the moon is a lady. The, okay. <laughs> That's kind of, but, uh, so in Mesopotamia, the moon was a dude. Um, so the moon is the father of the sun God. Very cool. Uh, not the other way around. So they, they saw the, the moon God is coming first. Um, and also a consort to Ishtar, who was the goddess of the planet Venus, the morning star. Um, and they were like, 
the celestial holy trinity to the people who lived in Ur, uh, which is sometimes, you know, it's often considered one of the very first cities, like proper cities, you know, not a, not a farming village. But that's a whole different thing. Uh, maybe it's in and of itself, Mesopotamia. Uh, so, but there's some very important and ancient symbolism from that far back that I really wanted to point out because I think they, they do kind of follow the, the idea of a lunar deity through history, like all the way to the Roman moon goddess, which is totally derivative of Selene, Luna. So, uh, but these foundational elements. Um, so the Mesopotamians were a very agrarian people uh, and they did likely invent farming, but they were also big on cows. So cows, cows. So Nana in the form of the crescent moon, sometimes known as Sin, um, was very, it was very easy to imagine the horns of a bull, uh, specifically an ox which yeah. I still don't really know what the difference between an ox and a regular cow is. And I feel really dumb, but no one can answer the question for me properly. So we're moving on. Isn't an ox just a bull that's been castrated? Am I wrong I thought, about that? That's a, that's a heifer. That's what a heifer is. No, a heifer is a, isn't a heifer a female? Oh, maybe you're right. Oh my God, hold on. We have the internet. You continue to look up what the difference is between an ox and a fucking cow. So, so, so jump back in when you figure out what the difference is between an ox and what I'm researching this week. And I have ADD, so I can't go down every rabbit hole. Um, but no, so, so they saw the horns of a bull or an ox, but they also sort of understood in their way the deep connection between the phases of the moon and the tides. Uh, it is said that the... Sumerian aspect of the Mesopotamian culture came from what is now the the Gulf of Arabia, but it would during the end of the last ice age, it was not underwater. And so the Sumerians said they came from the sea, which some people take to mean that they came from India, but actually some other people think that maybe they lived where the Gulf of Arabia is now. Um, and just were like inundated by a flood. So obviously those people, if they did cross the sea or if they were inundated by a flood brought on by rising tides, um, were very, very aware of the moon and its influence on the tides. And of course, you know, when you look at the ocean, the ocean generates new life, like the rain and snow come to land from the direction of the sea the sea is controlled by the moon. You see, it's like the, the moon is very important. Um, you can kind of see the beginnings of the connection between the moon and new life um, and that kind of motherly aspect, um, but also that kind of connection to the ocean and like cancer the crab, because I, I kind of talk about this later, but like the crab's claws are kind of crescent moon-like as well. Oh, yeah. Also, just to jump in, an ox is a castrated bull, but the big okay. thing is just like the ox is typically used for farm work and plowing. So, oh, sure. It's a working bull. It's a working bull that has no balls. Now we know. Um, the more you know. But the, the Sumerians, who were big beer drinkers, by the way, um, and I work at a, at a brewery now, and I can tell you, people drink a lot of beer on the full moon. Um, 
they do. And so this, but the Sumerians were also very aware of the moon's effect on people's behavior and, you know, that kind of like lunatic behavior you get on the full moon. Um, and they, some of their lore about the moon, even that far back, again, we're talking 3000 to 5000 BC, which is like 7,000 years ago. So basically, you know, like forever ago. And um, they were, they were, they were in on it. So we've got poetry, we've got um, the deep, the deep tides of the emotional ocean. Okay, we've got a little bit of that cancer energy that we associate with the moon now, just a little bit. And so, of course, through the magic of cultural osmosis, we also see these themes strengthened and affirmed by the Minoan situation in Crete. And the Minoans fucking love bulls. So the whole ox horn thing is like very big for them as well. They also do have a moon god instead of a moon goddess, which is very shocking to me. Yeah, it just feels so weird. Like, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. I mean, sometimes you miss the mark. But And if I were to keep going, the next historical moon deity that we could follow in this same lineage would be Selene. And I'm doing a whole section on Selene, so please just pop a pin in that. Um, wow, it's almost like we plan things once in a while. We do. But uh, but other things besides oxen and the ocean that we can look at as things with like old, old, old school Mooney vibes are more things that you can actually look at as far as maybe ideas for like a lunar altar uh, are that the moon has long been associated with the colors black and silver. And if you think of love it, Shannon's wearing black and silver right now. Um, we're, we're doing like a very lunar thing. I, I, I feel like this shirt kind of makes me look like a sailor, with the, the white and the blue stripes. So maybe I'm doing oh. like an like an ocean thing. You know that they used to call mugwort sailors tobacco because when they ran out of tobacco, they would smoke mugwort. This is oh. all coming together. This is all coming together. And you guys should really get on the Patreon so you can see our outfits. Um, but okay. But, the, but again, I'm going to say it again. The moon is associated with water, you guys. But specifically, like the moon's reflection on water has always been a thing that people see as magical and like a little bit fucky and like a little bit sort of otherworldly. Like when you can see the moon's reflection, like some people feel like you're looking into another universe. Yeah, uh, I mean... If you've ever stared at the moon on like the ocean or even yeah. on a lake, it kind of feels like if you dove in, you would not be on this planet anymore. No. Um, and I definitely have felt that specific vibe before. So all okay. these ancient people, they're not wrong. Uh, I identify with this. But water, water, moon reflections, moon water. You guys, it's all coming full circle. Um, so, but really this is time to dive into some like modern witchy takes on moon magic. So get out your pencils, you guys, because we're no longer in Mesopotamia. We are in the 21st century and, uh, we watch TikToks about moon water. Um, and that's just, that's the future, you guys. So I think a good place to start as far as bringing the moon into a modern pagan practice is to think about the phases of the moon and their respective strengths and weaknesses as far as like what the energies can bring to your spell work. And so the easiest way for me to think about it, and 
I, I have ADD and I smoke a lot of weed. So sometimes I have to think about things in like very abstract ways, but the waxing phases, which is the phases between the new or the dark moon and the full moon is kind of like a pulling energy. Uh, so this is like a good time to manifest things, to ask the universal energy for things like, and you can almost see it as like pulling your message where it needs to go or like pulling you into the right spot to receive things. Um, so this is like growing energy, building energy. Like if you think about like a seed germinating and sprouting, this is like the germination into the sprout, right? Yeah. They always say like when you're planting, the waxing phase is the time that you want to plant things that you're going to be utilizing the above ground parts of. So things that you're going to use the leaves and the flowers, not root vegetables. Right. Um, so it's like this growing energy. So I feel like if you're doing a spell that needs charging, you would like want to start around the new moon. And I, I would say, because sometimes the actual like where the moon is in the correct degree to be full is like the middle of the fucking day. Yeah. Or at like 4 a.m. Yeah. And you're like, like why is it always 4 a.m.? I'm tired. <laughs> um, and you're like, I can't, I can't. But it's like the day before, the day after, I always say is fine. I, I personally yeah. like to do the night before. Um, yeah. I feel like I give it like a three day window. I feel like that's a good I don't know. I'm just saying, it's like like my thing is, you know, it's like when me and Eve used to do the bonfires, it's like I'd rather do the full moon bonfire the night before the full moon. Just, I don't know. I feel like punctuality is respectable, you guys. So take a note, take a note there. (laughs) So, but I feel like the full moon is more intense than the new moon, or it's like I feel it more intensely. But once you, so you like, pulling from the new moon to the full moon and then the full moon into the new moon is like pushing energy um so very intense energy this is completion energy and this is the energy that's great for cleansing banishing cord cutting and it's like also the prime time to moon bathe your crystals and magical accoutrements because it's like pushing all of the bad energy out, which I is I think more of the correct way to see it rather than saying that like the moon is putting energy into these things. It's like cleansing them. It's yeah. pushing it out. I like uh, that. And if you're looking at plants, like this is the phase for root vegetables because it is like, getting that push into the ground. So things that are going to be digging down right. that you want the roots for. And it's like, it's pushing the waves because the mm-hmm. tides are high at the full moon. Um, so you guys, I mean, just think about it that way. If you have that kind of kind of mindset, but kind of moving on though, I think just like feeling the energy of the moon, like if you were just not familiar with working with it, like at all, which I feel like most of you do, like most modern pagans, most, I feel like a lot of our listeners are Wiccan just to like give it a flavor, but y'all work with the moon. Okay. But like, if you've never seen the moon, if this is your first time outside, that big thing in the sky that's glowing is the moon. Also, welcome to the world. And thank you for yes. listening to Wands and Frogs. It's <laughs> one of your first acts. <laughs> yes. Um, but no. So 
I feel like moon gazing is like the thing to do at the full moon. Um, I certainly do feel like cleansed and refreshed afterwards. I mean, I'm obviously going to be up all night, the night of the full moon. So it's like, you can really like feel the energy and it's like, that's what sun gazing should be. Sun gazing is fucking stupid. I'm sorry. I'm all for grounding. I think that's great. You know, like get in touch with the earth, like touch the earth with your hands and feet as often as you possibly can. Yes, do that. Do not look at the sun. That's fucking dumb. But you know what you can look at? The moon. I I love on my back porch, there's like this break in the trees. So when I'm up early in the morning sitting on my back porch, you can see the moon. And that's, I love as a morning person. It's like, just because you're a morning person doesn't mean you can't be a moon lady because the moon is still up. The moon the is still hanging out. Yeah. The moon is still there. And honestly, it's like, I, where my apartment faces, the moon like comes up from behind the building next to me and then it like comes through the holes in my tree like on its way up at night and then I can't see it after like you know midnight 1 a.m 2 a.m depending on the time of the year but uh and then she's gone she's on the other side but no I do like I do like moon gazing feel like it's clean energy um it's like solar panels uh but for for your brain um and yeah so don't don't do sun gazing do moon gazing moon gazing is cooler and the full moon is also in my opinion like a great time to celebrate and like it's like you've completed another lunar cycle um it's a great time to like look back with gratitude for the things that have gone well for you um and think about maybe what you need or what you would want for the next lunar cycle um you know, because it's like we're slipping, we're slipping towards the end here. You know, it's like we've we've reached the peak and now we're we're done. Now it's time to like rest and recuperate, right? So another way I've heard it put, and just since we're talking about like the phases of the moon and the moon energies right now, is that the new moon is the time to ask for things and the full moon is the time to say thank you. Mm, so I like I, that. I like that. That's a little simpler. Um, but I feel like these are maybe some easy guidelines just to kind of work around the practice that you already do is kind of the point of talking about that so in depth, because it's like, everyone has like certain strong suits and you could be in the kitchen. You don't have to leave the kitchen if you're a kitchen witch, but you could, what the moon phases are and do your, your spell work on certain phases of the moon. But I do know of a witch, though, and just to kind of like throw out some like fun tips from real life people I know, too. um, I do know of a witch who uses a compact mirror reflecting the moon as the water element when casting a circle, uh, which I like. uh, Or like if you're casting a circle or if you're calling corners, um, because, you know, um, but little little compact mirror makeup mirror. To those of you who don't know what a fucking compact mirror is, you can you, you can reflect the moon in one of those and use it in a spell. If you're like calling corners or you needing something for the element of water, use the reflection of the moon. It's yeah, love that. It's good for that, especially if you live in a in a drought area and you don't want to waste water. I think that's yeah. like a good water saving witchcraft tip. So save the planet, y'all. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, the same witch who you know what? Fuck it, it's Eve. We can say we can say Eve's name on air, right? 
Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think Eve's going to sue us. <laughs> no, I don't think Eve's going to sue us. But also has a mirrored tray that she cleanses her uh, crystals on. I love which, that. Which I do. I, I, I think that's like not intentional. But it's sometimes sometimes it's hard to tell with Eve because I feel like Eve does things by accident on purpose. Yeah, I, and, I get that. Um, I love that. You know, so anywho. Yeah, I mean, I think also Moonwater is a good one. Something I've been doing recently is using my Moonwater when I'm painting. So I've started doing some painting again and to like clean my brushes or to like thin out acrylics. I think love painting that. with Moonwater is so great. It just feels so good. No, so I usually do, I have like a big mason jar that I do Moonwater in. Mm -hmm. But when I put it out on my balcony in my little Moonwater spot, I, um, I put out the little bottle that I use to spray my patio plants. Oh, I like that. And I turn my little spray bottle into moon water for the plants. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, li I like to do it um, and because it's like I it's the main. I mean, it's not good for watering plants, first of all. But when I, I give my succulents a little spritz. Yeah, that's how I watered them to like recreate the little morning dew in the desert that they would get for water in my head that makes sense but but yeah so so they get a little moon water too and uh, i like to make tea with moon water so mm. yeah i usually i have full moon water almost always on hand i have like full moon and new moon water and i love to make like tea or add a little bit to eric's coffee in the morning if we have mm. like a big day coming up like oh yeah something to get the energy going and like obviously adding it to baths. Like I, I know we've talked about moon water a few times before, but I fucking right. love it. It's like, I do. That's probably one of the things that I do more regularly than pretty much any other type of like ritual. Yeah, work. no, I, same. I mean, it's like, I, I like to have it around. I, yeah. I did. My friend's mom used to make sun water. Nice. And I will tell you, like, maybe it's just because I'm a fire sign baby. I liked the sun water too, but that's a different episode. And I think we've already yeah. talked about it, but okay. So we have to come back to moon magic. Uh, I knew that I knew this was going to be a rabbit trail one. I'm so yeah. tired today too. So now it's time to blurb about crystals because all of the like baby witches love crystals. Crystals are really not my thing, you guys. Um, <laughs> womp womp. No, I, I mean, I'm, Sometimes I see one and I'm like, I like that one. It's like that one specifically. I do yeah. like citrine. Again, I'm a fucking fire sign. Leave me alone. Okay. Yeah. You're but, in your little Laramar phase. Oh my God. I, 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 I do. I need to get the hook for that piece of Laramar. Um, yeah, I've got mine but, on. It's so pretty. It looks like the ocean, which it brings does. me to uh, crystals that work well with the moon. So for all you crystal witches out there, opals. Uh, mm -hmm. opals, big, big moon energy, uh, selenite, big moon energy. Actually, yeah, just really, don't get it wet. Don't get selenite wet. <laughs> right. Anything in the quartz family, I would say, including, I feel like the moon does have that kind of unspoken Venus connection because they used to date. Yeah. So I mean, mugwort is ruled by both Venus and the moon. That's crazy. Um, did you know they used to date? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the hot goss. But no, so I feel like and really anything like in the iridescent family, I feel like anything um, with like oceanic energy like Laramar, like Moonstone, 
which hello is looks like it's from simultaneously the ocean and the moon um lapis i feel like there's some very good options out there but one that i was kind of thinking about that a lot of people don't consider or you don't hear a lot when people talk about like charging things with the moon or like energy cleansing with the moon is your silver um and I don't have a lot of silver, but I know a lot of like the newer witches out there are like really into the witchy aesthetic. So they will like spring the money for like silver goblets or like a mm-hmm. silver letter opener to use. Yeah. See, I don't have like silver accoutrement, but all of my jewelry is silver because right. I am very pale and I look stupid in gold. And when I'm putting out my jewelry and stuff to like cleanse, I'll even put like my wedding band, like it doesn't have any stones in it, but I, I cleanse and do all of that with my silver. Right. Totally. I feel, yeah. No. And it's like silver, the moon. Hello. Um, yeah. We've talked about the, like gold has solar energy. Silver very much has lunar energy. So put your silver out with your crystals. I mean, if you've got some, do it. I mean, Shanna does. Yeah. And it feels good. Which actually kind of to bring me back around to my main point for this segment, which is really that timing is going to be more of a thing than actually using the moon in specific ways for most witches, I feel. Like I work a lot in an outdoor space. So I love like using specifically the the moonlight. Um just as an aesthetic element uh but also like knowing which which phase it's in to like know when to do stuff so you guys also like we talked about you can think about when to harvest things based on the phase of the moon you know like some things are going to be better harvested under the moon like jasmine which some people have called moon moonflower but i mean there's a million things that are also moonflowers but Jasmine was one of them at one point, you know, and it's like, uh, but they, but they would always say that the Jasmine would smell stronger under a full mm. moon. See, I've, I've been getting more into the idea of like working with flower essences. And I love the idea of making essences with things like Jasmine or moonflower that also incorporates the phase of the moon because it is this like really great spiritual energy. So I, I love that, like, especially on the full moon, like, mm. Something about that is tasty. And, you know, just to kind of like throw this out there as both an altar idea and something that you could potentially like charge with your crystals or like your silver. uh, If you keep like me, keep a bunch of seashells and uh, beach fossils and shit around your house um, and like Nautilus shells and uh, that kind of stuff. I feel like uh, that that shit used to live in the ocean. Okay, so it's already very much attuned to like the tides and the moon cycles. And if you're looking for like jewelry pieces or like altar pieces that are going to have lunar energy or like to go along. And also, I you know, like those Nautilus shells look like curled up bullhorns in a way. So I feel like there's like a certain very appropriate thing there. But, you know, kind of moving on, I also feel like this is different for everyone as far as like what kind of energy boost or like what you're going to feel in certain phases of the moon so definitely just keep a journal or like start adding moon stuff to your journal because maybe if you don't remember like if it's not the best day of your life like your wedding day or some shit like that um but you wrote about it in your journal and you're like oh i was sick at my stomach and the moon was in virgo 
um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't take a rocket scientist to, uh, to kind of put that together, but, uh, but maybe you're, maybe you're not sensitive to it at all. And you journal about it and you're like working with the moon is not for me and that's fine too. So, but I think I like the idea of a journal. Y'all know, I love writing stuff down. So, um, place to stop for a, just, just to kind of like end it because I, this is a general introduction to moon magic, you guys, um, is that, like I said, using the phases is going to be a great introduction for people rather than doing like moon specific magic, just like paying attention to the phases of the moon. Um, the moon is still where it's in if it's the middle of the day too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like you don't need to be able to see it, I guess is kind of. Yeah. You don't have to do moon magic at midnight. You don't, you could do it in the middle of the day. Uh, if you just need to get something started based on the phase of the moon, you can do it in the middle of the day. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, we give you permission. We're giving you permission. I'm encouraging it. I'm a sleepy bitch. Okay. Sometimes I can't stay up till midnight. Especially, if it's, especially if it's not the full moon. Like we're older now and we need sleep. But so. I, right. I mean, I'm. 23 i'll be 25 in no time so i mean i've i'm 27 and holding so um Um, no i love that i feel like that that's a really great foundation for people to like start with yeah and i feel like you know it's like you you get into these rarer events that people really hype up or like people get so focused on like planning their lives around the phases of the moon like I, I kind of prefer to just like look at it as part of the picture, you know, as kind of like a way to like form the memories of it in a certain way. And like, like, yeah, I mean, if you're doing witchcraft, plan it around the phases of the moon. Obviously, yeah. obviously we're recommending that. But I'm just saying, you know, it's like you don't need to go overboard with it. Yeah. You're not uh, always going to be able to schedule that job interview on a full moon. And it's yeah, fun. Yeah. You're not. You're probably not the one scheduling the job interview anyway. Yeah be like uh no i actually can't uh we have to wait a week and a half i'm so sorry yeah anyway um i'm so sorry by the way for all of our patreon willow has been like cleaning herself i'm so sorry (laughs) i was gonna say before we move on i did have one more thing to share about moon magic for for my because i feel like there is a lot of moon magic stuff that is kind of based on feminine energy which is really like not I, I, out of respect, I'm leaving a lot of that out. I love the moon, but I don't, um, I can't rep for that. So, yeah. uh, but I will tell a story. I will tell a story about a time that I did some very complicated moon magic uh, on the 2015 October blood moon eclipse. Mm-hmm. So just very briefly, I think I told the story on this podcast before, but so we went out, of course, we dressed in all black because we were we were taking this shit very seriously. Um, we did consult with my friend's mom, who was like who had been a witch for like 40 years. We were like, we want to do something with this eclipse. We want to do some like hardcore moon magic. And we all took the night off too, like me and Callie, who's an air sign and uh, Jeannie, who was also an air sign. 
So a lot of, not a lot of grounded earthy energy. And we were just really going for it. Um, I'm like all that air and fire. It's very combustible. Yes. But so, so we went out to the middle of the woods and found a clearing and we did this spell. And um, so basically the idea was that while the shadow was starting to pass across the moon, um, we were burying at, we, so we were like thinking about all of the things in our life that were like not serving a purpose anymore and things that we really wanted to like banish from our lives and just thinking of like really just like negative things in our lives or like things that we could do without. And then when the full moon was fully, when it was fully dark, which was so cool because it's like you could like see the the field just like go dark, right? Uh, And then we buried them in a hole in the ground. And then the, the second part of the spell was while the 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 moonlight was coming back and the shadows was leaving um you're supposed to do it in reverse and so you're thinking about all the things you could want in your life like all of the positive blessings that you could receive um and like just things that you you maybe like wanted okay and then like you thought about that while the moon came back and then when the moon was back you ate it right but so we're doing this spell we're all dressed in black we're like out in the middle of the woods in this fucking clearing and the moon starts to come back and we're being dead quiet because like that, that's what we were told to do. And we're like silence. We don't, we don't hear anything, but the moon comes back and you just see two little like glowing eyes off in the distance um, from coming from my direction. Right. Then like, of course I look around because I'm, I'm that person that's always like looking around at my friends uh, when something inappropriate would happen at church as a kid Um, just to be like, what's going on? So I see these glowing eyes. I look over, I see more pairs of glowing eyes like all around us. And it was fucking foxes. You guys, we were being like ambushed by foxes and it was really cool. Um, And the spell actually, I got all the shit I asked for in the spell by the way. So good job, Jeannie's mom. Thank you so much for, for the spell. Uh, But also you did like summon Fox demons to the clearing. Uh, Don't fuck with eclipses y'all. I mean, do fuck with eclipses, but also we were so dumb for not doing like any protective shit because the, those foxes, I mean, it was cool. And I love foxes. I'm always getting visited by the foxes on my way home from work, but um, I was like, the, those foxes, the glowing eyes, it was very, very demonic, very demonic foxes. We did, we did feed them a Cheeto. Uh, a Cheeto? A Cheeto, a Cheeto each on our way out. So I love that you use Cheetos as, as an offering to the foxes. <laughs> to the fucking, um, the fucking uh, lunar eclipse demon foxes. So that's, that's all I have for you guys. So we we're, hey. we're that was a long time to talk about the moon. That so was I, a long time, but that's okay. She's a big deal. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about mugwort. And in retrospect, I'm like, man, we were fucking bold putting mugwort and the moon in the same. Episode. Oh, my God. Really? It's like this. This one might might be a record breaker. This is a long one. Um, but what can I even like? How do you introduce fucking 
mugwort. So I already said it's been called the witch's friend, which is a very well-earned title, which we'll talk about. Um, it's also most likely like a lot of people agree that it's one of the oldest plants that's been cultivated by humans. Uh, the Chumash Native American tribe has been using the herb for over 13,000 years. Uh, we also know that druids used mugwort in their practices. And there are Chinese songs and poems dating back to 3 BC that mention mugwort uh artemisia you, so you really just had to outdo me with the history didn't you uh you know i mean it's not me it's mugwort oh uh, sure 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 okay <laughs> um and other like badass things like so it's artemisia vulgaris is like the latin name for it it plays a super important role like now in the treatment and prevention of malaria worldwide which is a big fucking deal um so yeah so we'll just like jump right in because honestly like there's so much to talk about um so the artemisia genus you'll probably remember from a few episodes ago it uh, actually comprises over 300 different species and a lot of those are used for medicinal purposes it includes things like wormwood which I know we've talked about as well. Um, mugwort is a very hardy species reaching up to five feet tall and it can get about like half that and spread. Um, they do like to be in full sun, well-draining soil. Mugwort does grow just about anywhere. So it's like, it's no wonder that so many witches and herbalists around the world use it in their practice in medicine. Um, it is a member of the Asteraceae family, the daisy family. And it propagates super easily from rhizome cuttings. Um, but because it spreads through rhizomes like bamboo, mint, it can like be pretty rapid and aggressive. I think in parts of Canada, it's considered invasive. So just like check things out, be careful. Um, the stems are angular and they have kind of like a purple hue to them and their leaves are twice pinnately lo uh, lobed and they're dark green on top and then the bottom has this like dense cottony fuzz so it looks white on the bottom and the flowers are like small and oval shaped and they're either like a reddish pink or pale yellow and it's it's also very similar in appearance to common wormwood but the way you can tell the difference is that um the you'll see that mugwort has the pointy leaf edges and common wormwood has blunt leaf edges. The other thing that you have to watch out for that's kind of like a lookalike is ragweed. <laughs> so um, ragweed and, and worm, uh, ragweed and mugwort do look very similar. Um, the purple hue on the stems is the biggest difference there though. And so you're going to want to look like close to the base, like nearest to the roots is usually where it's easiest to see that purple coming through. And that's like one of the ways you can know that you're actually finding mugwort this is like such a cool plant though um and one of the things that's really special about this as uh, like in particular when we're talking about cultivation is uh it's said to really like reflect the well-being of the person growing it right so if your mugwort doesn't thrive allegedly it's supposed to indicate that you need healing work and like if you have a healthy plant that's like doing really well and then suddenly starts to decline it's a sign that maybe you're like starting to pick up something either like spiritually or physically that's making you ill and it like needs to be mended so you could almost use it as like a spiritual smoke detector. Yeah, yeah. It's I do, I, I do like that. Yeah, and I I think it's it's just such a cool plant, man. It really is. Um so 
anyway, um, when you're looking to harvest it, something that a lot of cultures, in particular uh, Native American cultures, place a lot of um, weight on when you're harvesting the plant. So you can think about things like the lunar cycle, the time of day. Those are things that will sort of imbue different spiritual properties onto the plant. So that's something to keep in mind. I think in particular on this episode, you can really think about the moon phases when you're harvesting the mugwort. Um, And it is, it's really an easy plant to grow overall. So you are going to want to harvest it though. Right. And I think that's always something that's important to talk about, but in particular with something like mugwort. So you want to get the flowers as soon as they bloom. Like you don't want these flowers to like sit on the plant for a few days, like to really be able to take advantage of those volatile oils, you need to get it like as it blooms. Um, And the leaves need to be collected before the plant flowers. And that's of course always the case, but you can kind of like fudge it a little bit with a lot of plants. Like people are like, oh, if your basil flowers, it's going to be bitter and terrible. I mean, like it's fine. I always harvest my basil after it's flowered and I have not died and my pestos are really fine. Um, but mugwort, because it does have like these really, um, like these really intensive oils and the medicinal compounds are really concentrated. Like you do need to sort of pay attention to when you're harvesting it, especially if you're wanting to use it like medicinally, but I think even magically, because there is like, there's a lot of oomph behind mugwort for sure. So the leaves do again, need to be collected before it flowers, but then you're going to need them to dry, right? So you can spread them out into fans. I have like these little, um, like cookie sheet, like they're like baking trays, like the little like mesh baking things that you put on the cookie you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know exactly what you're, I think it's a cooling rack. Yes, thank you. Oh my God, cooling rack. That word was not in my brain. So I like to put things on like cooling racks because then you can get the airflow on the top and the bottom mm-hmm. because I don't have like a dehydrator or fancy shit. Like I really keep it pretty simple. So I think that those cooling racks are awesome and you can get them at Target for like five bucks. Like they're really affordable and you'd really just want them to like dry nice and evenly. Because when you're drying herbs, if you like stack things too close together, you can like actually set it up for mold. To grow. Yeah, it's like you're, tra- you're trapping a little pocket of moisture. Um, we do the same thing when we're working with like large bundles of herbs in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you don't want to create those little pockets. Little yeah, pockets. Gross. Little pockets are always bad news. Like little pockets, big trouble. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> um, so yeah, so it's you just want to be really careful about that, uh, especially if it's something you're going to ingest. So keep that in mind. And if you have bundles of it, you're going to want to hang them in a shady place where they're not exposed to direct sun. Because again, like the sun is going to start breaking down those volatile oils and you really want to keep your medicine like really potent, right? The roots, if you're going to harvest them, because the roots are also usable. Again, you want to harvest them in the autumn because the goodness falls down in the fall. Uh, Also for bonus credit, you could harvest them in the autumn on a waning moon. If you want extra credit, Mm. I'll give it to you. You also need to like spread the roots out to dry too. Like you don't want mold anywhere. And you'll know that the roots are fully dry when it snaps, when you bend it. Like if they're bendy, they're not dried out. And if you put them in a jar, they're going to start growing shit. Like you need to let things fully dry out before you store it. So 
the medicinal benefits. I'm not going to get like a whole lot into growing mugwort because it really does like grow like a weed in a lot of places. It's also really abundant. So if you find a place that's not super close to a, like to a road, you can harvest mugwort as long. I would never take more than 30% of any sort of like plant area that you find of anything that you're foraging, but mugwort is like nowhere near endangered. Like she's, she's going to be okay. She's all right. You can take some of her. So medicinal benefits. Uh, Disclaimer, I am not a doctor. These claims have not been verified by the FDA. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to treat or diagnose any conditions. Talk to your doctor before you start an herbal regimen. And it's time to drink. (laughs) Have a drink. So this is a long list. Mugwort is antithelaminic. So it expels parasites without harming the host. It's diaphoretic diuretic, an amenagogue, a nervine, onerogen, uh, which it means it enhances dreaming and stomachic. And mugwort is really, really commonly used for female reproductive system support. Speaking of the moon, um, it can bring on delayed menstruation. It can also help support a regular cycle. So that's something that's not super common. Like a lot of herbs that will help bring on menstruation are not necessarily great for keeping you regular, but mugwort actually can really support like the whole cycle. Um, you can really do this by like taking it internally or by applying it topically to the lower abdomen. Um, you shouldn't take mugwort consistently for more than six weeks at a time. You can have it like every few days or so, but it's not something that you want to just be regularly consuming. So again, be aware. It also helps chill out any excessive bleeding though. If uh, you have a uterus and you've had one of those periods, you know what that's like. Sometimes you don't want a gusher. <laughs> like, so mugwort. I mean, as, as a dude, uh, I can't imagine not wanting that to happen. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. Also, I love that mugwort is like super popular in TCM and Japanese and Korean medicine. TCM is traditional Chinese medicine for the treatment of rheumatism. And so they actually will take the leaves of mugwort and form cones and place them directly on the skin and then light the cones. And the cones are left on that spot until it becomes hot, not blistered. And it's like moved around to other spots in the area until the area is like fully red, but again, not blistered. Um, and this process is called moxibustion. And it's a really good method, both for like quick pain relief, but also as like a tonic process for long-term rheumatic pain. And so it's like, you get the heat from the like treatment that's really helpful for pain, but also like the benefits of like the topical application of the herb, which is like this amazing one-two punch that they do. It's also like mugwort is an awesome, here's my jar mugwort. (laughs) Uh, It's an awesome diaphoretic for like when you start to feel that cold coming on, right? Like everyone knows what that feels like during cold oh yeah season. you're you're scared to go to bed that night because you're like i know i'm gonna wake up sick yep you're like, i'm gonna be fucking sick tomorrow and for the last year and a half you're just like is it a cold or is it covid <laughs> um so mugwort she's a pal i do have to say mugwort can be a little bitter it's one that i always add honey to if i'm gonna take it so just like be aware you can buy tinctures and stuff but i personally really like to do teas because i feel like i can get to know the herb a little bit better as opposed to in a tincture where it's just like super concentrated. And as a nervine, it's actually really good for hysteria or lunacy. Love both, it. 
Yeah. And fits, you know, like including like epileptic fits. Um, David Hoffman actually notes that mugwort's nervine benefit against depression and tension is due to its volatile oils, which means it's like especially important to take care when you're brewing mugwort infusions for like medicinal purposes, because the volatile oils can be lost if the infusion is like prepared or left to cool uncovered. So that's why when you're making like teas for herbal purposes, like for herbalism, you need to like cover them because the volatile oils, I mean, if you think about it, when you smell a plant, those are volatile oils that you're actually like, that are already entering your body just from smelling the plant. So you really just want to take care and also don't just like let your herbal tea get cold, like sitting out uncovered. Like you don't, you do want to like drink it while it's still steaming because once all that stuff's gone, like there's still medicine there, but not as much medicine, you know? So it's important. So, So I think, you know, I think an important thing to like throw in here is kind of like what the actual meaning of the word volatile is. Cause I think like you're kind of lost in like, I'm learning herbalism world. Yeah. I I feel like to like the layman, the word volatile sounds bad because you think of like a marking on like a chemical truck that says volatile chemicals. Yeah. Basically what that means is that they will waft away in the air very readily. Um, So it's like things that are not bad for you are still volatile. Uh, But also, I do just want to throw in here with the whole, like, don't let your tea sit uncovered. Um, They make little covers. I mean, as a tea guy, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. You want to brew regular tea covered as well. Because if you've ever left a cup out long enough to brew a, a cup of tea, without having it in your hands or like blowing on it or whatever, it's really actually quite gross. Just how much like dust and hair and stuff is just floating around in the air. Um, So even apart from like keeping the beneficial properties of an herbal infusion, you guys should just be covering your tea while it steeps anyway. Um, Yeah. I mean, I have this really cute mug that Eric got me for, was it my birthday this year? It's a Totoro mug. So of course it's like Japanese. So it's made with one of those fitted, yeah, and it's got the yeah and it's got the little uh-huh like the, does it have the little mm-hmm. ring of silicone to just like mm-hmm. create yep. a little seal it's great yeah that's what I, really that's great what, that's what i have but i bought one as a separate piece from a japanese from a japanese tea company just yeah. to, and it like fits over most of my coffee mugs and um i wish this was sponsored we should get like for life or someone to sponsor us right. because <laughs> but if if you don't have that you can also just like totally use a saucer like a little saucer plate flip it upside down put it on your mug it's fine if um, you have old lady teacups that's actually one of the things that the saucer is for yeah so. and i do have old lady teacups i just don't use them for my tea very often which i should i have my mom's china with all of like the tea set anyway um so onto the magic right because i could really like dive into like like mugwort is really useful in traditional Chinese medicine and like Western medicine, they use it to treat dampness. Right. So it's like, we could go down a rabbit hole. We will not do that right now because this is already a very long episode. So we're going to talk about magic um, because mugwort is the witch's friend and Mm. she, she smells great. She smells very earthy, kind Mm. of like good tea. Like, I mean, you know, like really, like really good black tea. 
maybe even kind of tobacco-y. Yeah, like a little edge of that. Um, and it is smokable. So anyway. I, I was I was I was uh, thinking about uh, my sailors, my sailors tobacco. Yeah, your sailors tobacco. Um, so mugwort, as I mentioned earlier, is associated with both Venus and the moon, the elements air and earth and the signs Gemini, Cancer and Libra and the raven which I really liked. Um, the most common thing you'll see mugwort used for, and like even in the medicinal thing is like dream work. So add it to a sleep sachet. All right. That's another drink y'all. Drink drink. Up. Um, <laughs> but seriously, this is like, I was listening to um, this podcast today with Juliet Diaz, who wrote the book uh, witchery, like awaken the witch within. It's one of my favorite books. I love her work. And she was talking about like sleeping with mugwort, like next to her bed. Because a lot of people talk about like mugwort is one that like even people that aren't witches that are just into herbalism are like, shit, y'all mugwort by the bed. <laughs> it gets in there. And so in the late 20th century, right, like dream analysis was popping off. And so the demand for mugwort also like significantly increased, which is how a lot of people became familiar with it. And when I was growing up, I just remember my papa always told me that you would forget your dreams if you looked out a window when you woke up. And I've like tried Googling it. And I don't know if that's like a thing or if that's just like an R family thing, but he said he got it from his mom and his mom was Cherokee. So I'm like, is it a native thing? Is it a Southern thing? I don't know. Um, so let us know if you've heard that. Cause that was, you know, like cause it's funny because it's like, I am from a very similar part of the world as you. And I have never heard that. Yeah. That's why I was wondering, I was like, is it, is it a native American thing? Maybe. Cause my papa, my papa was half, half native American. So growing up there was, it was just like part of, the culture of our house. Uh, so I'm always curious because I am not directly connected to that culture. So I often am like, was that a thing or was it just a thing in our family? I don't know. Let me know. Anyway, so plant-based uh, onerogans or onerogens. I'm not sure how this one's pronounced because I've never heard it pronounced. Um, it's like the plants that help like with dream intensity are typically either taken before sleep to stimulate dreams or used to sort of induce like a dreamlike state that can serve as sort of like a waking parallel to your vivid dream state. So like mugwort tea in a hot bath for me is like, I'm not going to be on this plane of existence for a while. Oh, especially um, with that Pisces moon, you just float away. Yeah. And I have, I have taken to like drinking mugwort in my tea and I do have to like, be careful because it gets my dreams like vivid, like very vivid. So also if you have active dreams already, like maybe proceed with caution, like maybe try it like in waking first to see if it's like super intense for you. Cause I know some people react to like dream inducing herbs with more like anxiety dreams. So I would just try it maybe while you're awake before moving into sleep, because if you're awake and then you start like getting anxious and stuff, it's a lot easier 
to, you know, utilize some coping mechanisms. And if you're asleep and you're getting like chased by a dragon or something. So you can also use mugwort for smoke cleansing, which was a really big deal in Celtic cultures. Like mugwort is one of the herbs that was used in Celtic cultures for smoke cleansing. You can also, again, smoke it. Lots of people add it to their smoking blends. It's also always included in the nine sacred herbs of summer solstice. And the incense there is like traditionally used as like a blessing for shamans on the beginning of their journeys. And like, that seems really like logical because of its dream inducing properties, right? Like if you're sending shamans on their way. Yeah, you're like you're sending them on a journey, mugwort. Yeah, it tracks. Mugwort can also though be used just to like boost your general magical abilities. So you can think about adding it to like ritual baths or including it in a ritual incense blend. And I was listening to a podcast today and I I realized I don't think I've really talked about this much, but it's like super not accessible friendly of me. If taking a bath is not an option for you or you don't have a bath, foot baths are an amazing way to get a lot of the same like medicinal and magical properties without being in like a full bath. And you can do that in just like a big like soup pot, you know, just like put the hot water in it with the herbs, the whatever you would take in your like ritual bath, the flowers and stuff and just soak your feet. And like you can get the really good like health benefits as well as like the magical benefits of like getting in a full on bath isn't something that works for you for whatever reason. I also, I, I will say like foot baths are nice. They are, you know, they are. Your feet are doing so much work. Pisces rules the feet. Of course they rule the feet and dreams. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So foot baths, foot baths are awesome. Even foot if you baths. have the baths. Um, Mugwort foot baths for every Pisces in America. That is my promise to you when I run for president in 2028. I'll vote for you. Um, <laughs> so I do also love, so of course I used um, entering Hecate's garden because mugwort is obviously in that book. And Cindy Brandon had this really great recipe for like a psychic patch that I loved. And it's like a third eye opening poultice. And I was like, mm, this is this is tasty. So you wrap just like about a teaspoon of dried mugwort um, in some gauze and you dip it into boiling water just to get it wet, not to cook it. You're just trying to like activate the like oils, get everything going again, put it on a plate and cover it as it cools. And then when it's fully cooled down, you don't want to burn your face. You're going to take it and place it on your third eye. And you can use that to like augment a trance state. So for me, I was thinking like, if I drank some mugwort tea, and got in a steamy bath and like lit some candles and then put this patch on my third eye. You would literally go to another dimension. Y'all, you would, you would maybe never see me again. You would go to the dimension that you see when you see the reflection of the moon on water. Exactly. That's where you'll find me. That's where you're, um, that's where she's going. So anyway, I know that this, it feels so surface level because there's just so much to get into about mugwort, but like, I really could talk about this plant for 20 years. So I'm going to call it for now. I do think at some point I'll have to do a follow-up where I like, I could do a whole episode just talking about mugwort. Like there are fucking deities that were named after mugwort. Like it's, it's really an amazing plant. So anyway, today my sources were herbrally.com, Elder Hour Podcast, which is the one I'm forgetting the other hostess's name, but Juliet Diaz is on that podcast. And I don't think they're, actively releasing episodes but they have some really cool ones they have like a two-part series on mugwort um and then of course entering hecate's garden by cindy brannon love that 
Yeah. And honestly, it's like every time I go to your house, you give me mugwort tea. So I love her. She's delicious. I'm just like, "Mm." I could smell her all day. A a real one. Although I will say just to kind of I'm I'm one of those people that's really sensitive to like anything to do with sleep. Like Mm -hmm. when I take even like a super small dose of like valerian or melatonin, it's like I don't have anxiety dreams but I have those dreams where you feel like you lived a whole lifetime, like an inception dream. And then you're like, just yeah. tired when you wake up and you're it's like, like, you know, it's like needing a vacation from your vacation, but it's like, you need a nap from your sleep. Yeah. You're like, I'm tired after all of that stuff I did while I was right? asleep last night. It's like, God damn, I got a lot done, but now I'm sleepy again. <laughs> but okay. You guys, so we're going to talk about Celine. So Celine Dion was born on the 30th of March, 1968 in Charlemagne, Quebec, Canada. Um, Near, far, wherever you are. There's going to be okay. a lot of Celine jokes, right? Yeah, no, I actually, I, those are, I had the wrong Celine notes. Um, <laughs> those are for your other podcast on pop stars from Canada. Right. So uh, Celine the follow, Dion. The follow-up to your Shania Twain episode. I'll see myself out. Anyway. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> but no, so like Celine Dion is a goddess in her own right. And I would say that the poetic cadences of my heart will go on will surely go down with her namesake, the Greek goddess of the moon, Selene, spelled S-E-L-E-N-E. For anyone who was wondering what the difference is, you pronounce it exactly the same, though. That's the joke. Let's that's move on. The, that's the only difference between the two women, the that's spelling true. of the name. Have you ever seen Selene and Selene in the same room? I haven't. I certainly haven't either. But I did ask you guys earlier to put a pin in the history of moon deities. And here we are. Now it is time to unpin it because it is officially Selene time. Um, Selene is the goddess of the moon in Greek mythology. Badass, right? Uh, So kind of inheriting a lot of the mooniness from the Cretan version or I guess the Minoan version and the Sumerian version and all the other versions that came before. But so she is the daughter of the Titans, Hyperion and Thea, and uh, sister of the sun god Helios and the dawn goddess Eos. So she drives her moon chariot across the sky every night. Um, And here is where things start to get fucky. All right. This is one where we had some fuckiness, but I think it's important to like say both sides if even historical sources are not in agreement um because that way we can kind of get the whole picture and see how like different groups of greek people looked at Celine. um so yeah we're trying to get the whole picture here uh we really do the work for you guys on this podcast so in some versions of the Celine myth her chariot is drawn across the night sky by silvery white horses with wings or pegasi, uh, which is very cool and all, very respectable. But in the other versions of the story, her chariot, which is made of silver, by the way, um, is drawn by two silvery white horned oxen. Wow. We come full circle. We really have come full circle, Uh, which to me is a very clear homage to the moon deities that came before her. Um, And I choose to imagine that her moon chariot is drawn by oxen 
Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go Team Oxen on this. I'm, one. I'm feeling I'm feeling Team Oxen. Uh, another thing which I feel is like peak Celine iconography is her headdress, um, which features the crescent-shaped horns. So we've got the sideways horns or the crab claw shape, if you will, um, pinched around, pinched around the full disc of the moon. So, and I didn't bring a show and tell for a picture, but it really, it looks like, like Egyptian pharaonic regalia. Uh, so like the way they would draw the crowns on Egyptian queens a lot of the time, which I think in that instance, it was supposed to be the sun and the moon in one crown. Anyways, we do have those sideways bullhorns. So just going back to the chariot thing, I think it's obvious that the chariot is driven by oxen and not pegasi. You just have to imagine it. Use your imagine. Use your imagination. So it's she's got this crown. It's very Egyptian looking for some fucking reason. Um, I think we all know the reason. Uh, but we do have those sideways bullhorns. It the chariot's pulled by oxen. So Celine is a fashion icon though, because in every telling you also hear about her fucking billowing cloak. Okay, like every legend about Celine, you have to mention her billowing cloak uh, to the point that billowing cloaks are said to embody selenite energy for initiates to this very day. And honestly, what a legacy. Um, oh my God. I wish I have this like, like ankle length velvet, like silver velvet, like jacket. Do you know which one I'm talking about, Nick? I, I believe so. Okay, I will try to remember to wear it next week because I'm now feeling like I missed a huge opportunity to wear a billowing cloak. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, what a legacy she's leaving behind. That, yeah. That's what she's remembered for is having a billowing cloak. I, I mean, honestly, I want, I, that's what I want to be remembered for um, is my billowing cloak. So remember that, y'all. Uh, yeah, even I'll though definitely I'm not, remember. Even though I'm not wearing that now, uh, nor, I rarely wear a cloak, but uh, That's remember, not the point. <laughs> remember when you think of me, billowing cloak, so when I die, it doesn't matter if I actually wear one, as long as that's what people remember about me. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. I agree. So, okay. And being the goddess of the moon and personally getting to go around the whole world every night. She's also known for another thing. And that is being a bit of a player. Um, so think of her as like the original free loving airline staffer with lovers in every port. Uh, that's very much a Celine calling that's card. Hot. And um, I wish we could stop there, but uh, we kind of get the vibe that Celine's a little creepy later on. So spoiler alert. Um, so the most famous romance in her life and the most famously told story of featuring Celine is, uh, as a main character, I mean, um, was the one she shared with a famously beautiful mortal called Endymion. So... Before we get to that, I think we should look at her cult or kind of like her lack thereof before really diving into the story. Um, so together with Artemis and Hecate, Selene formed like the first configuration of what we modern pagans think of as like the mother maiden crone archetype. Um, so Artemis is said to have 
lunar aspects. Hecate is said to have lunar aspects. Um, Celine is the fucking moon. So she's still the moon, but she's also like the mother aspect of the maiden mother crone kind of triad with Hecate and Artemis. Um, and just to be clear, Artemis is the maiden, Hecate is the crone. Uh, no shade to, to uh, either of them. Um, and Not obviously- man. The crone phase is super important. Yeah, the crone phase is super important. But, uh, and you know, Gaia is like the mother, right? But Celine is like the mom in that particular configuration. But Artemis and Hecate both had very healthy sized cult followings of their own. And so when we use the word cult, we're not like, it's not like a death cult, like Jim Jones drink the Kool-Aid. Like it's just, you know, there's a whole pantheon of Greek gods that exist at the time. Some of them have cults where they like go to temples and do rituals and make sacrifices. And, uh, or, you know, there's certain gods and goddesses that are more like household gods and goddesses. And that kind of gets into like ancestor worship as well. But the, the mate, like the pantheon gods, sometimes they have cults. Sometimes they do not. They're just part of the mythology. And so Celine is very much part of the mythology and no shade to Artemis and Hecate, but Celine was a Titan for fuck's sake and drove around the sky in the moon like it was a tricked out El Camino picking up hot boys and shit. And honestly, how did she not have a cult? Are we starting one? Maybe we are. I I'm mean, down. we do love we do love Artemis so much on this show. That and Hecate. Really, and Hecate. I mean, it's like, but it's like, I, I feel like uh maybe, maybe we should. Maybe we should bring Celine back. Uh maybe we've already been doing it. And now this is just like us finally waking up to our true calling, which is to yeah. ig ignite a Celine cult revolution. We're going to we're bringing the Celine cult to the 21st century. But so this idea of like the multi goddess does come up again and again throughout like the rest of recorded pagan history. Um, so that in that idea in and of itself had a lasting legacy in the way that people worship, but people didn't actually do a lot of worshiping Celine themselves, which I thought was interesting. You know what else I thought was interesting? The whole time I've been reading all this stuff about the moon deities, not once did a fucking wolf come up. Isn't that crazy? How? They How? had them. Rome was founded by wolves. There's, there, was, there used to be wolves all over Africa and the Near East. I mean, you don't see them so much anymore, but why? Why did about, wolves? Why did wolves never come up? They're thinking about oxen. But what about Wolf Moon T-shirt? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> what? Anyway, okay, okay, but no, but she did have two very specific things other than mooning around um, that she was a patron goddess of. Like, uh, so there was other gods that represented these things. Greeks pretty much had a god for everything, truth be told. Um, and if they didn't have one, they borrowed one from Egypt. Um, but poets, poets and poetry. Obviously, you see the connection with the moon, like that dreamy, emotional influence that people feel from the moon uh, and people with a lost love. The tides and those emotional deep seas, like. It's very moony, okay? But 
basically you would like cry to the moon about it if you got dumped. So exactly what everyone does now. Yeah. Um, still to this day. So, uh, but there was no temple. There was there's, there there was no temples to Celine. There was no cult to Celine. Uh, there was no festivals that we had as modern witches could revive. So we really would kind of have to like strike out on our own to do like a Celine revival. I'm down. Um, but anyway, on with the love story, or is it a love story? It's kind of creepy. Uh, so. This is another big aspect where the story changes depending on who tells it. So I'm like mainly sticking with the version from Hesiod's Theogony and um, giving you guys like the cliff notes of what the alternate versions are. So Endymion is, and this part is always like a little bit reminiscent of Narcissus, um, the most beautiful man at the time in the Greek world to the point that people suspect him of being one of Zeus's bastard children um, and potentially a demigod in his own right. Um, but accounts do vary as to whether or not he was a simple shepherd or a king from the Near East or an astronomer. Um, they did have astronomers back in the day. Uh, but the important thing, depending on which version of the story you hear, is that Celine was head over heels for this man. And in any of those occupations, she would have like seen him out and about at night. Um, and as a notorious lady player, she had to pull up in her El Camino, AKA the moon and have him. Uh, but okay, so here's, uh, it's so, it's so I, just, I have to say, what's the point of having a moon Camino if one does not pull up in Hala? You do have to pull up and holla. Otherwise, what did you spend all that money on a moon El Camino for? Um, but so it's debated whether or not Endymion himself had expressed a romantic interest in the queen of the goddesses Hera, um, or whether or not that was just something that Zeus suspected, um, or maybe knew with some sort of divine intuition. Uh, but it does kind of call into question the reasoning for what happens next, because Selene begs Zeus to make Endymion an immortal so that they can be together forever. And Zeus agrees, which is very weird for Zeus. Like, he obviously has to have some kind of ulterior motive. Zeus does not just do nice things, but it's under a very strange condition, which kind of calls his part in all of this into question as well. Um, so Endymion gets to live forever, right? But he will be permanently asleep, which is sort of the mechanism for his lack of aging, according to Zeus. What? what? Uh, what? So he's sort of like a male sleeping beauty. And actually, Hypnos is so struck by his beauty that when he gets called upon to send Endymion to sleep. Uh, that is such a tongue twister of a name. Um, forever. So he's going to put him to sleep forever. Uh, he goes, he does so, uh, but he keeps his eyes open. So he's asleep with his eyes open forever. Okay, so you, even worse. So that you can look into his eyes and uh, because he's so pretty, like you still want to be able to look at his face. Why, you might ask. Um, it's unclear. Uh, I mean, who are these onlookers who are uh, looking at Endymion? Um, what are you going to do with a permanently asleep guy? Find out next time. 
right now. Um, I'm deeply upset so far. (laughs) (laughs) So Zeus agreed to this. It's unclear why, but uh, he did have to be asleep forever. And uh, some say he was jealous that Hera, uh, Hera was going to do some cheating of her own. And honestly, it would have served him right being the womanizer that he was. And so here's one part that's, fu- and that's like one part that's fucky. Yeah. But here's and where it we, gets. We did mention last week when we covered Hera, Zeus did not appreciate getting run around on, despite the fact that he was like the OG fuck boy, constantly running around on Hera, which like, right. not cool, man. So every morning, after saying hello to her sister and brother, the sun and Dawn, respectively, um, her sister would, you know, whip the moon Camino to the cave where she keeps Endymion uh, because he's asleep forever. And so she put him in a cave and she goes during the day and like spoons with him. Right. And that's all they get to do because he's asleep forever. Or is it because they had 50 daughters together? Oh no. Um no. So that's a five with a zero after it. Uh and he never woke up that whole time, but they kept his eyes open so she could look him in the eye while she did the dirt, you know. What uh, the fuck? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So she was pulling a, a Daphne Bridgerton on a sleeping guy every night. Um, fuck man. Okay. Maybe we were a bit hasty. Yeah, no, I know. So, but it technically it's not clear whether or not he actually liked her back either. Uh, that's the other sort of unclear part of the story because they say that he was in love with Hera. So he maybe didn't, he like, didn't sign up for fucking any of this and got put into perma sleep and then raped to have 50 children with a goddess. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, But yeah, so she was boning him in his sleep enough to have 50 daughters, which supposedly represent the 50 months of the Olympiad, which is the four year period between the Olympic Games. How romantic. How romantic is that? Uh, And that would be the end of it. But one part I particularly enjoyed, but which is admittedly an add on from a later, more satirically slanted poet, was that Celine. Um, because remember, he's he's going to live forever. Celine will live forever. She's a titan. Um, so she's hired a nymph to watch over Endymion's body every night while she's doing moon stuff and her moon El Camino. Um, so she noticed that he was like smiling in his sleep and even like stirring a little bit. Uh, like when she was around, she's like his nurse. Um And so in some versions of this story, she kills the nymph, which is how she gets the scars of the craters on the moon, uh, or turns the nymph into a fly, which is why buzzing flies wake people up to this day. Like a flat. Wow. So, um, you know, we love the billowing cloaks, but a lot of rape. Yeah, we, man. we talked about Zeus, and that was there. There was there's a lot of raping going on in here. Um, yeah, god damn, that's well, the 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 taller they are, right? right. Uh, but no, so but we're but we're keeping the deity profile a little brief this week, 
um, as I have just been up to my eyeballs in dealing with Oliver's stuff the last couple days. Um, so my final notes to share are some alter aspects for all you moon witches who might be into doing a Celine-themed configuration on your altar. Um, silver, bulls, billowy shit, poetry, chariot-themed stuff, apparently pictures of hot boys. Um, <laughs> and one thing I think that doesn't really necessarily have to do with Celine, but I do think is nice, is like, writing the moon a thank you poem when you've like finished doing a spell um, and like offering it up during the full moon at your moon bonfire. And if you don't want to read it out loud, you could throw it in the bonfire and send it up as smoke. So I mean, I feel like uh, also low hanging fruit selenite. Yeah. 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 Sorry, y'all. Like uh, you do. But okay. So we're almost to the bitter end, y'all. This is almost a two hour episode. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, we did cover we did cover like a lot of pretty important topics, which is why I felt OK cutting Celine short. Um, yeah, so especially the, that whole like super fucking rapey aspect. Of yeah, it. like <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then I was like, oh, this is weird. We're just oh, this cut is it. not fun anymore. I'm like, this is already like a 10 page note thing. So I'm like, we're done. And Whoa. we're done. So, but before we're done, we always do the tarot scope. Um, and I, I'm so glad that I found out that Shannon is a Capricorn. The other Shannon is a Capricorn because I'm like, oh, this one's for you too. Um, so it is the Ace of Wands. And this represents for you guys like new opportunities, growth and potential, which we love. We love that for you. Um, but I would say this is, it's a good omen for you guys kind of going forward with whatever you're starting right now, but it's not a sure thing yet. Um, it's gotta be nurtured. It's like, it's the seedling. You gotta take care of it. So this new thing that you've started can become something great, but you do have to, to nurture it a little bit. It's like a little embryo. It's a little baby. You gotta take care of it. And then it can be something great. It's not something great yet. Um, and that's, that's all I had for you guys. I feel like it's, uh, you know, I feel like that's sound advice, um, for really anyone who's starting something new, uh, especially my Aries ass. Like, I feel like Capricorns would probably be a little bit better at that kind of thing than me. Cause it's like, I dive into everything head first and then I get bored of it a week later. Well, that's not really enough time to grow a little, a little embryo baby, but this thing that you've started, it's your little embryo baby. Put the time into it. And um, yeah, I do think it's funny, though. Just uh, like one final note that Capricorn got the tarot scope this week when we talked about cancer approximately 20 times. Yeah. Talking and about Pisces. So it's like I like that we got probably the like most opposite of water energy sign. Yeah, we're like, oh, we're talking about mother energy, the moon, the moon goddess. And then it's like Capricorn. And then it's like, let's talk about the CEO of the Zodiac now. Did actually, before we go to, I did want to ask, since this was like such a moon heavy episode, I want to know what you guys favorite moon thing from pop culture is. Like, is mm. it Sailor Moon? Is it like Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany's? Um, is it like a sci-fi book? set on the moon 
um, let us know. And Shannon, like, what else can they do to get in touch with us? So if you guys want to reach out to us, you can email us at wandsandfronspod at gmail.com. You can message us where apparently I have not been paying good attention, but Nick has. Uh, and that's on Instagram at wandsandfronspod. Or if you'd like to see the increasing amount of show and tell that we're doing on the podcast, uh, you can join our Patreon. And for $5 a month, that's when you start getting all of the awesome benefits. And you can find out more about that by visiting patreon.com slash Wands and Franz pod. You guys oh, God, it's these. so simple. It's so I simple. Know. It's easy to remember. Okay, you guys. Well, what do we say to all the Mooney bitches out there? Oh, to all you Mooney lunatic bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be you Mooney bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. Oh my God, this is such a long episode. (laughs)